0: This is the rundown. Rundown. The rundown, hosted by Luke Lipinski, ninety-eight seven FM, Arizona's sports station.
1: All right, all right. Welcome into the rundown. I'm Spencer Keatsman, filling in for Luke, who was just filling in for Burnsie on Burns and Gambo today. A lot of great stuff from the guys earlier this afternoon. I got to make fun of myself. I thought I had a perfect update there, Jeff. Thought I had one, and I just you know I messed. Sorry, Brooklyn betting. Uh, It's American built. There are American belts, but Brooklyn Bedding does not make those. They make the best mattresses in town.
2: (laughs) I mean, I feel like only the uh, only the East German judge there was giving you a bad score. (laughs) Uh, Jeff Darge
1: producing tonight behind the glass. My name is Spencer Keatsman filling in for Luke. A lot of stuff to get into tonight. And this is a big week for me. Personally, it's Masters Week. I have been asked about seven times today to join seven different Masters pools. I've joined three of them, but guys, I'm tapped out. Like I can only do like a couple. I'm not the kind of guy who's going to fill out twenty five NCAA tournament brackets. I'm I'm just not that kind of guy. I'm not the guy who gets in on twenty seven different prop bets in Vegas before a season starts. It's just too much to keep track of. But I do love the Masters, and it is Masters week, so that's something that I will be keeping an eye out for later in the week. Um, But right now, it's time for the Rundown Rapid Reaction.
0: The Rundown Rapid
1: Rapid
0: Reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories.
1: All right, last night, the Phoenix Suns sneak past a terrible... Houston Rockets team who I I don't know if there's anybody left on that team anymore that I can name after uh, all the trades and guys wanting to get out of Houston blah 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 they've lost 27 out of 29 and the Suns beat them 133 to 130 look uh, defensively was not the best effort that the Suns have had all year and Devin Booker was great in the fourth quarter otherwise we're looking at a completely different story but you know what uh it's just win and move on. That's that's kind of how I'm feeling about the Suns right now. I, I don't look at scores in the NBA like I like a lot of people do. I'm not concerned about the Suns barely skating by in Houston, especially on a year where they're playing pretty much every other night uh, this this time of year, especially because of the late start to the season. I looked it up. The Suns have 23 games in 40 days to end the season. That's a lot, and there's a lot of back-to-backs as well. So, um, you, you know, you're chasing the one seed right now with the Suns. But the uh, the most important thing is keeping this team healthy. And I'm going to get into this a little bit more later on on what uh, the Suns should do if they're sitting in this position a few weeks from now to where they're still maybe two and a half back, if it's something you really are striving to push for. And obviously it is. You know, getting the one seed would be a huge accomplishment for this team, especially since this team hasn't made the playoffs in so long. I mean, what, what it... What a job uh, by the staff and the players this year of just getting themselves in a spot to be even in this conversation. That in itself is is truly remarkable. All right, second story, the D-backs and Rockies. They're in a weather delay right now. That game's going to start here at 6.30 Arizona time. That game's over on ESPN 620. If you want to tune me out and go listen to some live baseball, I'm not going to get offended. I'd prefer it if you stayed here, but I'm not going to be too upset. Uh, The Diamondbacks coming off a series in San Diego where... I'm not too terribly concerned with what I saw. They're playing a much better baseball team. Um, and there was really the second game. Was the was it the second or third game where they just got blown out? And they were not competitive. They had like three hits. That's the only effort that I was really concerned about. They were in every other game. They ended up winning the getaway Sunday game. So um, the Rockies are not good. And this is a team that their fans are very upset with their front office and the decisions they've made. And um, it's a lineup that was with Colorado just two years ago. One of the most feared lineups in Major League Baseball is not so much anymore, but it's still Coors Field. The ball still flies around out there. Maybe not so much tonight because of the rain and I'm sure there's some humidity, but you're still at altitude. You never know what could happen. The Rockies could still be a dangerous team. And I'm looking at Luke Weaver tonight. Show me something, man. All right. Last year. You're coming off the injury in a shortened season. I get it. Things did not go well for you, but it's go time. It's big boy time for Luke Weaver. Can you prove that you deserve to be in this rotation? Because we've he's got the talent. He showed signs of it in 2019 before he was hurt, and you can no longer use that injury anymore as an excuse for Luke Weaver. It is go time, buddy. Put on your big boy shoes. Let's go get six solid innings tonight. You know, keep the ERA down and walk only a couple. That's that's what I want to see. I don't want to see another big walk outing from Luke Weaver like we saw in San Diego. All right, the third thing: Arizona State, the college basketball transfer portal. Um, Marcus Bagley announced today that he is declaring for the draft, but the transfer portal has hit ASU hard, and they've got some guys coming in as well. And this is just sort of the culture of of college basketball now, and um, I, I I'm interested to see where the game goes from here because I find it so hard to fall in love with the team in college basketball anymore. The sport is clearly not what it used to be. If you're a middling program, a Power 5 program like ASU, who struggles with getting fan attention, getting people to go to the games, getting their own students to go to the games, getting people to watch the games... One you gotta win I mean that's sort of been proven in this town to get people to watch you've you've got to win and two it's it's just very hard to fall in love with your team when you don't know who your guys are every year you know you can expect freshmen there used to be a day where you would expect a freshman that comes in maybe he didn't play right away oh he's it's fine he's gonna have another chance next year to play that is not the case anymore it is extremely hard to sort of get romantic about your team. Unless you've got a top-tier coach in college basketball. That's the the only way it is. And I think that college basketball right now is, is really struggling with an identity crisis. And to me, the game gets more and more unwatchable every year. I watched the title game last night. That was fun. Baylor looked good. Uh, I, I knew they were good. I'm a Big 12 guy. I've seen a lot of them this year. And uh, those were two, clearly the two best teams in college basketball meeting in the national championship. A lot of people think that's bad for the game. I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, if it's Duke every year, yeah, that probably is. But when you get Gonzaga and the Baylor as as your two best teams, that's good for college basketball. Those are two teams that are not there every year. Gonzaga is a perennial power, um, but they they have yet to win their national championship. They've they've lost in the two national title games they've played in. So um, I think stuff like that is is decent for the game. Having having those types of teams play in the in the title game, a lot of people would disagree. They want Carolina, Kansas, Duke, Kentucky. They want these same teams every year. There's got to be parity, but it, it's just really hard, even for these big name programs, for their fans to fall in love with their teams. And, and look, we've seen what the what the FBI and the scandals with the big name programs have had have had an impact. Kentucky didn't make the tournament this year. Louisville did not make the tournament this year. Um, who else missed it? Duke. Duke didn't make it. Yeah, North Carolina was one and done. Right? They got bounced in the second round, I, I believe. So it's it's had a fallout effect, and right now, if you're a fan of a big-name program, you've got the FBI creeping down you, and the NCAA, with some of these sanctions, a lot of these programs are in some serious trouble. We've seen it down the road in Tucson. Um, they self-imposed a ban this year. A lot, I think you're going to see that with a lot of these programs who have been involved with this stuff do that. But a lot of things that have happened in college basketball the last few years have made it, very, very difficult for the casual fan to to get an interest in, and I'm wondering right now where that's going to go. How are you going to get the casual ASU fan that maybe you know tunes into a few football games if they're good? How are you going to get those types of people to go down to Tempe and go to a game? I just, I just don't don't see it. It's, it's. Look at UCLA for example. They had. They were a Final Four team. They had a, just a kind of a mediocre season. They had some injuries. They won their playing game and they got all the way to the Final Four. Um, they had they had some studs in the NCAA tournament, and a couple of them weren't even on the team last year. So it makes you wonder, like, the casual UCLA fan, did they even know who any of these guys were before the tournament start? I I, I, I dare you to go find an NCAA or a UCLA fan and be like, uh, who was who was the guard that transferred from from Kentucky? It wasn't uh, Jamie. It was... um, Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name right now. He absolutely tore it up in the NCAA tournament. Um, But anyways, uh, uh, Johnny Jizang, that's his name. He was an absolute stud. He was a transfer from Kentucky. I mean, like it's... USC threw out a a starting lineup this year with five guys who weren't even on the team last year. And they made it to the Elite Eight. So, uh, I mean, obviously there's some success that can happen with all this that's going on, but... How do you follow your team? Like, how do you... We're in sports radio, Jeff. We know the players. A lot of people don't. A lot of people aren't sitting in front of Twitter every day wondering... uh, Or or getting instant reaction on on ASU transfers. I'm just... What do you think,
2: man? How does this game move forward with all that's gone on? I mean, (laughs) I think first and foremost would be to establish some sort of... um, I mean, everything's got to be equal. Everything's got to be figured out in terms of uh, all the FBI stuff with the mm-hmm. these various college basketball programs. But, I mean, I think the most important thing is to, right now, keep on trucking. I don't think any sport is having the easiest time as we kind of transition back to a pre-pandemic world. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think the best bet is to just... Kind of hope for more stability as time goes on. Yeah, I mean, this
1: college basketball is it's it's in as bad a shape as it's been in my lifetime uh, for for multiple reasons, and it's for the last few years, the game to me has just gotten worse. And uh, I, I get it. Look, the transfer stuff. This is America, okay? I, I believe that every kid should pursue what they think is the best opportunity to set them up for their future. Um, I'm all about that. I mean, how often, it happens in everyday life. People take jobs that they think are a great situation, great for their career, and then it turns out that it's it's not the best situation that they could have put themselves in. It turns out maybe the boss is a sleazebag, and or anything. It, it could be a number of different things. Maybe the head coach wasn't as good as you thought he was going to be for your game. I don't know. I'm all about putting yourself in the best position. For your future, but a thousand guys in a transfer portal. I mean, Gambo said it right. Nobody wants to work for it anymore. And uh, if you get beat out your freshman year when you're 18 years old, that used to be like, eh, you know, he's a freshman. A lot of teams didn't used to play freshmen in college basketball. It's just the way it is. And now it's like if you're 18, you expect to play right away, no matter where you go. And 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 the real problem with this. And then we'll, and then we'll go to break. And I've got some sun stuff for the other side. So stay tuned for that. But I think that at the the ground level, which to me is the AAU and some high school systems in some areas, they have created a culture to which they make it believe every kid who's got a D1 offer is good enough to go play in the NBA. It is not the case at all. There's maybe 10 high school kids a year signing Division One letters of intent to go play one year and then they'll get drafted. There just aren't that many of those guys. And that, 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 to me, I, I think that you got to be real with some kids. You know, if you're a three-star uh, and you've got some solid offers, don't think you can just go in and, and get drafted right away. I, 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 I don't understand where this sort of culture to where everyone thinks they're good enough to play in the NBA started. Look, have dreams. I, I, I'm all for that. But for, it's just not realistic to think that you're going to go pro right away or play in the NBA. You know how hard it is to play in the NBA? You know how little people get that opportunity to even get drafted, to even sign a G League deal, to even uh, play overseas? It's just a very small percentage of these kids, and I don't think they look at that. I sound like an old man now, like the get-off-my-lawn type of guy. I'm not crushing on your dreams, guys. I'm just saying... So at some point, we got to be a, a little more realistic. Not everybody's
2: an NBA player, and the game has to be about the game being played, right? Not every player can go in there, not the looking end... into the future, right? That's that's that's
1: another issue as well because you get some kids going to school thinking it's a stepping stone. They can come in for two months, go to school for one semester, play in fifteen games, either get hurt or something weird happens. A lot notice how a lot of these one and done guys get hurt. <laughs> It's because their team stink, and they're just going to go prepare for the draft. It's There's a lot of weird things that's going on with college basketball that I, I really don't like, so I'll get off that soapbox for a little bit. And coming up next, the Phoenix Suns, two and a half games back of the one seed, and they've got a big one tomorrow night against the Jazz, and a big one Thursday night against the Clippers as well. We'll dive into that next. I'm Spencer Keatsman on The Rundown on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Welcome back to The Rundown. I'm Spencer Keatsman. And for Luke tonight, filled in... Luke filled in on Burns and Gambo earlier today. And so I, I'm, I'm in the commercial break here and I'm trying to switch the TVs in here, which any host out there at any radio station could know that that's always a challenge to get to change TVs and studios. It's just, it, it's, it's a good setup, but sometimes it doesn't always work out, but I got it to work and I put it on Valley sports, Arizona, which is what the D backs are going to be on here in 10 minutes. They're also on ESPN six twenty on the radio side. Um, and uh, the, since the switch to Bally Sports uh, a lot of people i've seen on twitter that they just ha- they don't like it they don't like the look of it whatever i think it's fine it's the same talent it's the same use. general it's the same broadcast it just looks a little different to the fan i mean uh, obviously there's some money stuff behind the scenes and and what happened with fox sports arizona and how it was purchased and all that but to the casual fan it, it looks very similar except one thing drives me crazy the B in Valley sports looks like the Budweiser logo. (laughs) I mean, it looks like the Budweiser B. So yeah, I mean, could that change? Sure. Um, But the the reason I'm telling you this is because this got me thinking about, about ratings. And I saw earlier this year that the NBA's national broadcast television ratings were up, uh, just a slight margin from last year. And obviously last year was a, a completely different deal. Um, but the, the the nationally broadcast games that's TNT uh ABC and ESPN those numbers are up i would i'm going to be curious to see what the suns numbers look like this year in a spike um, but i'm wondering with like the switch over from fox sports arizona to Bally if we're still going to get an accurate reading on on just how many people locally are watching this game and the only reason i'm i'm curious about that is cuz you generally a winning team that's in contention for the one seed of the NBA you're going to see a spike in ratings in any market when the team is that good. Um, and I, I did read that a few years ago. The Suns had the fifth lowest ratings in the NBA in 2019, but they were awful. I mean, it makes it makes complete sense. It's, it's hard to watch NBA regular season games when the team is just absolutely awful. So I'm wondering what those numbers are going to look like when they come out throughout this year. And I think that's going to give us uh, a good... A good read on how Valley sports fans feel about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns now that they're winning again. So um, just just a casual observation for me. Uh, That's just something that I've been thinking about. I like to think about the numbers side of sports and sports media. So that that kind of stuff interests me. And you know what else interests me is Devin Booker scoring 36 points against the Rockets to give them the win, uh, which was last night. Now Houston's not good. Uh, they're they're terrible in fact but the Suns got a lot of production DeAndre Ayton had a 27 point night Mikael Bridges 20 points Um, Chris Paul had had 19 and 35 minutes I mean so that that's they've been playing well and things are clicking so I'm looking at the next six weeks for the Phoenix Suns Uh, May 16th is their last game they play San Antonio twice to end the season and those could be That could also be a playoff matchup. (laughs) If you think about it, the Spurs are a few spots out right now, but uh, there's a chance that if the Spurs catch fire, that the Suns could literally play them like nine straight times. (laughs) It could be possible. So um, I'm looking at the next six weeks right now where everyone's all hype on the chase for the one seed. Look, I get it. It's very exciting. Um, it's it's a spot the Suns haven't been in in a long time, so I'm all about it. Let's go get that one seed, but I don't think it's the biggest thing on the planet. I think the most important thing is obviously keeping everybody healthy, and because you know we've seen it before, one late season injury to a key player, and the whole thing could just get derailed, and the and then the Suns have no chance of making a deep playoff run. And we all know who those guys are that are irreplaceable. The Suns have probably. I would say four guys in their starting lineup that are irreplaceable and then one one bench player who's pretty good in Cam Johnson so they've got some guys that they definitely need uh to stay healthy and I'm 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 wondering how do you well, let's say 2 let's say 3 weeks from now they're in the same spot they're still trailing Utah by two and a half games and you've got 23 games in 40 days that's 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 a lot um so I'm wondering do you take a different approach or let's say you don't do well on this home stand coming up. Uh, the Suns have six of their next seven at home, and they've got some bad teams they're playing. I mean, they're they're playing the Rockets again. Uh, they're playing Miami's okay, I guess. Sacramento's bad. Um, they, they, yeah, they've got they've got some bad teams that they're playing coming up. And and the Washington's terrible. They're, they've got they got Washington next week let's say things don't go well and you find yourself a few games back and you're not as in good a shape three weeks from now as you, as you were uh, to today. And the, again, this is completely new familiar territory with the Suns. Do you kind of shut your guys down a little bit and just accept the fact that maybe you're a two seed, maybe you're a three seed. I, again, This is new territory for me. In my professional radio career here in Arizona, the Suns have not been in this spot. (laughs) The Suns haven't been in this spot since I was 21 years old, all right? So this is... uh, How do you... What do you do? Do you go about this differently? Do you maybe limit Booker and Ayton's minutes? Do you maybe limit Chris Paul's minutes? I don't know. How how do you handle this going forward? I mean... It I just think, depends, obviously. I,
2: I think the main thing that it depends on is what it, what are the quality of the wins that the Suns are getting later on in the season. Because while while I'm glad that most of these heart attack games have ended up with mm-hmm. the Suns winning, I'm Very starting true. to get a little worried with how many heart attack games we've had. I mean, I I'm usually here... Uh, on the board for Suns game, mm-hmm. and it feels like every night <laughs> when we're at halftime and it looks like, ah, oh, we're just going to coast for the next 24 minutes, it feels like that's the team's mentality sometimes as well. Like, the next 24 minutes are going to be easy, and then six minutes into the third quarter, suddenly it's a game again.
1: Right. And... Maybe that's just the type of team they are. They don't they don't really blow anybody out. They haven't really. I mean, they Friday night they beat Oklahoma City pretty badly, but that Thunder team is not good either. Um, but before that, you know, the Bulls game they win by five. The Hawks game they win by seven. Um, the Hornets game they win by four. The Raptors game they win by four. They lost to the Magic. Um, yeah, you, you know they 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 play close games. That's just that's just this team. That's what they do. <laughs> And, you know, the poll question on Burns and Gamble today was interesting. Do they play down to the level of their opponent? They might. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> they're winning games. They're 35 and 14. Right? That sounds right. That's about right. Yeah, 30, 35 and 14 or 34 and 15. I can't remember which one. But they're, they're really good. And they keep winning basketball games. I don't care how they're doing it. And... And the the mindset it's it's amazing how much the mindset of Suns fans has switched from the beginning of this season to now. At the beginning of the season, you're like, oh, wouldn't it be great just to win the playoffs or make it into the playoffs? And I'm like, yeah, you know, to me, that's not that big of a deal. There's 30 teams in this league, 16 of them make the playoffs. All right, so half the teams making the playoffs to me that 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 doesn't that's not really an accomplishment. I guess when you haven't done it in 10 years, it is sure. But for most teams in the league, making the playoffs is is not that big of a deal. You haven't won anything. You don't really get crowned for winning divisions in basketball. It's just not really a thing. Um, so you haven't really accomplished anything. My thing now is is like if the Suns get bounced in the first round, that's a that's a disappointment. That's just not that's not what you have in mind. It's amazing how much the mindset can change when your team is winning games and winning a lot of them. So. All right, coming up, the Diamondbacks are getting ready for first pitch in Colorado. This is not necessarily a big series because it's only the second one of the year, but you'd like to see the D-backs maybe go win two out of three against the Colorado team, who I don't think is is very good. So we'll talk about that next. I'm Spencer Keatsman on The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.
0: The Rundown with Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.
1: D-backs and Rockies just underway. I'm Spencer Keatsman filling in for Luke tonight on the rundown. No score. Top of the first inning. Marquez has sat down the first two guys in the D-backs lineup. Christian Walker just broke his bat going to get some new wood. I always like saying that. It's kind of funny. (laughs) Love a good broken bat base hit, except it was a foul ball. So that does not apply. Uh, D-backs and Rockies over on ESPN 620. If you want to check that out as well. Um... I just wanted to give my thoughts here on what I've seen so far from the Diamondbacks in the first four games. It's not alarming to go one and three, but the thing that is alarming to me was, was one the third game, uh, the Saturday night game, they did not put up much of a fight. I think they had like three hits, got beat seven, nothing. You hate seeing, seeing stuff like that. And look, the Rockies are real. or not the Rockies. The Padres are really good. And I've got a hot take. Just to start it off, before I get into the bad news, here's my here's my wishful thinking hot take about the Diamondbacks. All right, they play the, they play the Dodgers and the Padres a total of 40 times this year. It's either 39 or 40, because it's like, it, it's an odd, you, normally you play each division game 19 times, but I think there's one that you play an extra. I, I'd have to look that up. It's either 39 or 40. It does not matter. Here's my hot take. The Diamondbacks win half those games against the Padres and Dodgers, I think they go to the playoffs. That's a tall order. But if they split those games with those teams, look, they play the AL West this year. That's their one of their American League cross divisions. That 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 division's not good. I think there's literally one good team in that, and that's the Astros. So it's it's doable. And outside of the National League West, outside of the Braves. Um, maybe the Mets. I don't think a lot of teams in the National League are incredibly scary. I think there's a lot of bad teams in the NL. I think there's a lot of crap. <laughs> I, I think Pittsburgh is bad. Um, the, I, I don't necessarily think, you know, maybe some Cubs fans are listening just because I know we got a lot in the Valley. I don't think they're any good. Um, I, I In the National League West, I think that the Rockies are very, very just below average. Uh, I don't think the Giants are any good. I think there's a lot of bad teams in the National League that the D-backs can, can handle. I'm not saying they will, because maybe the D-backs are a bad team. I don't know. And that segues into my point here as to what we saw in San Diego the first weekend of the season. It's To me, it's not about the wins and losses, but like like literally every concern that we had about this team going into the year were, we're kind of proven true in the first four games. All right, Madison Bumgarner had a terrible start. Uh, he had a couple zeros in the middle of that, but it, he was he was not good. And it makes you wonder what he has left in the tank after they gave him all that money in that four-year contract at, I think he's 31. I mean, he's, he's not like an old pitcher, but he's not like a young pitcher. Um, it seems like he's a lot older than that because he's been around forever. I think he came up with the Giants in their first World Series year in 2010 at the age of 21 or 20 or something like 20 or 21. I can't remember. He was young. Um, and th- another thing that uh, there's, there's problems on defense that we didn't really think there would be. I know Ahmed is out, but Rojas has been terrible at shortstop. I mean, he's made some errors and not only that, he's been one for 16 at the plate, which segues ways into another concern of mine. And we're at the pretty much the two year mark since the Grinky trade. Um, I know last year was weird, but didn't we think some of these guys that we got in the trade would be would be up and playing and be contributing? Uh, it, and I know last year was odd. You had the shortened season, no minor leagues, but it's not like J.B. Bukaskis, Seth Beer, Corbin Martin, and Josh Rojas were sitting on the couch all of last year. They were working out. They were doing things. They were getting in simulated games. They were at the, uh, w- the extended prospect camp or whatever that was that was going on at Salt River Fields during the season. So um, I... Where are those guys? Rojas is one for sixteen at the plate. He's the guy you got for trading your star and Zach grinky Corbin Martin not up. Bukoskis is probably ready to be up, but they're manipulating his service time, so they're keeping him in the minor leagues seth beer college guy i mean he's he's got a clock ticking on him right now these these you know three four year college guys don't necessarily get the luxury of being able to figure things out in the minor leagues as 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 long as these high school draftees do so um. You're just wondering where the return is on that. We're getting up on year two. If halfway through the year, we're not seeing any return on these guys, you would probably have to say it's a failed trade. And then you start asking questions about the front office, the staff, blah, 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 all that. Um, the bullpen has been spotty. We questioned the bullpen going in the air. They were not good in San Diego. And this this one, to me, is the main thing. And that is that it's so far it's been proven that Cattell Marte is the only everyday guy in this lineup who can really hit. And that <laughs> that's an issue. The Dodgers have like 7 of those guys. The Padres have like 6 of those guys. So there's there's there hasn't been a lot of consistency so far with the rest of the lineup and I know they've scored they scored some runs in San Diego, but then you had the goose egg where you get shut out. Um I just, I'm wondering about the consistency of everybody in this lineup, and Marte's the only guy who's shown you so far that he can hit every day. The D-backs don't have another guy who's shown you that they can hit every day. So, uh, there's a lot of concerns about this team, and these were all the concerns I had going into the season, and in just four games, a lot of them have been proven true. All right, Luke Weaver's on the mound tonight. What do you got, big guy? It's time to go. You had a good season before you got hurt in 2019, and then since then just hasn't been the same. Can't use the injury as an excuse anymore. He's fully healthy, ready to go. It's big boy time, man. You got to prove yourself to be in this rotation. Zach Allen's going to get healthy. He's proven himself. He's the ace on this team. When he comes back, somebody's out. And and what's and the kid Taylor Whitener? He he pitched pretty good on Sunday. So there's some there's some spots up for grabs on this team, and I don't necessarily think that's that's a great thing. I think that most of the best teams in baseball right now have everything pretty much established and the Diamondbacks don't have all the answers that you would like them to have right now. So it's big boy time. It's time to win some games. It's time to make it happen. Otherwise this staff, this front office, I mean, it's possible. Nobody's safe in this field, in this line of work, nobody's safe. So we'll keep you updated on the Diamondbacks throughout the night. All right. Coming up on the other side, I want to get a little bit more into... We talked about it to start the show. Um, ASU has had some guys transfer and some guys transfer in. There's 1,000 kids in the college basketball portal. And since we just had our national championship game last night where Baylor beat Gonzaga by 16, I thought it would be a good idea to just to talk about the future of college basketball and maybe some things we can do to make this game better moving forward. I'm Spencer Keatsman on The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. (laughs) All right, welcome back to the Rundown. Our update music is our intro bed here. Uh, you scared me, Jeff. I was like, wait, we don't ever have a 645 update. I, I kind of got worried there. Maybe myself. we're yeah, maybe we're just changing things here on the Rundown, and we're going to start doing updates every 15 minutes. All right, so here's your update. No score, bottom of the first inning in Denver uh, with the D-backs and Rockies. Luke Weaver on the mound. There's two outs, and there's a runner on first. The latest is brought to you by me. <laughs> I am Spencer Keatsman on The Rundown, in for Luke Lipinski tonight. I just read online a website called VerbalCommitments.com. It's sort of like the, um, I guess the pro football talk of of NCAA. It pretty much tracks every like transaction type thing. Uh, anyways, it says that there are 1,200 players currently in the transfer portal. This was three days ago which is, I mean, an insane record amount. At this time last year, I think we had, yeah, it says 600. And (laughs) this is ridiculous. Uh, There's like six teams who have seven guys in the portal. St. John's has seven. Penn State has seven. DePaul has seven. Uh, Memphis, Michigan State, North Carolina, Creighton, Florida, Texas Tech, Illinois, Iowa, West Virginia, and Georgetown have five. (laughs) and some of them were key contributors to their teams. Uh, I mean, this is just absolutely insane. I'll say this to start this off. I think the NCAA screwed up the rule. Now, what they did because of COVID and because of of last year, they granted everybody an extra year of eligibility for all spring sports, which college basketball fits in that category of winter spring sport because their season was cut short, obviously, in 2020. Where they screwed up here is they they're allowing you to go wherever you want if you have that extra year of eligibility you don't have to stay at your current school you can go play anywhere i i don't like that rule i never really have um and then i know there's that fifth year graduate rule that's always been in effect a few guys have gotten a fifth year player a guy that already has his degree um i i don't like that either but this is, I, I think how they should have done this was saying, all right, fine. You want an extra year of eligibility because of COVID? If that's the, the rule you want to use, great. You got to stay at the school you're at. That would have saved, I think, uh, maybe a couple hundred of these kids in the transfer portal because uh, there there's a lot of names in this transfer portal that are literally like fifth year senior guys that aren't getting drafted. They're not going to the NBA, but yet they're still good and they can go contribute at another program, maybe a bigger high profile name program. Uh so that's that's that. I think they screwed the rule up. And I think that if if they knew that twelve hundred kids were gonna be in the transfer portal, Mark Emmert and the NCAA um m- would not have passed this rule. So um it, it's just getting out of control. And I think uh, the the culture of college basketball is changing and it it really makes me question how much I like this game anymore. I love I've loved college basketball my whole life. But one of the things I like about it is it's not the NBA. Um, Guys had been, in the past, they had been committed to their schools. They wanted to play at the school they went at. There seemed to be more passion of it back in the day. Now it just seems like everybody feels like they can play in the NBA, and it's just a stepping stone to get to where you want to be, which is the NBA. Look, there's there's like 10 guys out of every high school recruiting class every year that are maybe one-and-done players. There's just not that many of them. There's hundreds and thousands of kids who go play college basketball every year. Ten of them might have a chance of going one and done. And then, let's say, between all the international players drafted in the NBA and all that, and now you've got guys who are skipping college and are going to play overseas and blah. Let's say that maybe half the guys in the NBA draft, more than half, we'll give them more than half, are college basketball players. So that's like that's like 40 players drafted every year out of thousands. It's just, it's, I think that we're, we're creating a culture at the high school and the AAU level and all this competitive basketball level that everybody can play in the NBA. And look, I'm not about shutting a kids dreams down and saying, Oh, well you got no chance. You might as well just quit. No, go play college basketball, get your education. And if you're good enough, you got a chance, but not everybody is going to have that chance. And then when kids show up on campus, when they show up in Tempe and the team's losing, things are not going well. They're not playing. Maybe they don't like Bobby Hurley. It's just an easy out. Oh, I can go somewhere else. No big deal. No worries. Uh, it's I don't like it. And I'm, I'm all for kids putting themselves in the best position they can be in to succeed for their future. But a lot of times success is, is learning from failures. Maybe you stick it out at this school another year. Maybe some other kids leave. Maybe some kids get hurt, and then you get your chance. It's, it's like what Gambo said earlier today. These kids don't want to work to beat anybody out anymore. They want to go somewhere else and play. They don't care what school it is because at the end of the day, I think a lot of them believe that playing time is what gets them to the NBA. The more minutes on the floor, the more points you score, the more assists you have, the more rebounds, more blocks, all that stuff. That could be true. Um, college basketball used to be about wanting to get recruited at one of these big-time programs because you have a chance to go win the national championship. Now it's about, okay, I can go to one of these programs, like Kentucky, like Duke, like North Carolina, Kansas, and get on TV every night and get exposure. And if I only play 12 minutes a game, it doesn't matter. If I have a productive 12 minutes at one of those programs... I'll, I'll be fine. I can, I'm still getting looked at because I was one of the most recruited guys in the country in high school. I was watching this last chance. You on Netflix, Jeff, have you seen that? Have you seen the basketball one with the East LA I community seen college?
2: Basketball one yet, no. It's,
1: uh, I mean, you talk about a, a bunch of kids who have, uh, they've had most of them pretty tough upbringings, tough lives. We're not great in school. A lot of them had D one offers. They were not academically eligible, but you talk about a bunch of kids who have a false sense of reality and they all think they they're at a community college and they all think that they're going to the NBA. Like they all think, I mean, (laughs) I I don't, I don't know if I understand that. I mean, I'm thinking, but I was never the type of athlete to ever be put in that spot, but I'm probably, if I'm in that position, I'm thinking I'm at a community college. I need to play well just to go get a four year education for free somewhere. You know, forget the NBA. If you're at a JUCO, you're probably not going to the NBA. <laughs> uh, so, and same with the football one. I would watch that, and everyone there thinks that they're in the NFL. They think they're good enough. Maybe one guy from a legit junior college college football program will get drafted. That's just the the hard harsh reality of the way it is. So, I'm, I'm wondering where this all this all started. They're, they're, all these kids, I think, because they see how glamorous the life is of the NBA. They, they all think that they can do that just because they can hoop a little bit. The NBA is full of guys who were standout, five-star athletes in high school, great athletes in college, and they're role players in the league. And there's nothing wrong with being a role player in the league. Anybody would sign up for that. Um, and I I remember when I covered Rick Pitino in Louisville when I lived there and was working in in radio and is is interesting and maybe not so nice of a person he was. He had a lot of good points on, on the reality of what some of these kids need to think. I mean, he, he was teaching his kids, look, there's maybe maybe 15 to 20 superstars in the NBA that are, that are your bucket scorers. If you can figure out a way to go be a role player in the league, you'll make a lot of money and you'll play for a good amount of time. And it's hard to get 18-year-olds to, to maybe want to believe that they're just a role player somewhere, if you know what I mean. Everyone wants to be the star. Not everyone's going to be a star. I just think that we're putting some... I think that the NBA has trickled down into college basketball with the transfer portal uh, dilemma that we're seeing right now. I just think that it's a trickle-down effect and that the culture has changed. And I'm telling you what, guys. College basketball is very, very close to becoming less and less watchable. I mean, nobody, even fans of of like really good teams, they don't really know who their players are until the tournament a lot of it's it's just the way it is. You don't really know your players until the tournament. How many UCLA fans knew who their guys were? They were in 11 seed. They made a final four run. It's not like UCLA was dominating throughout the regular season in the Pac-12. They barely made the tournament. They had to have a playing game. So, um it, it's it's becoming harder and harder to fall in love with your team and your players because they could bounce in a year and they're gone. Then you got a new batch of kids coming in. It's it's I'm telling you guys, it's it, they're they're dangerously close to becoming unwatchable. It, the sport's getting worse, I, and I do, I don't like this because I love college basketball. I love what college basketball used to be.
2: I I tend to wonder how much uh, entities like uh, the AAU have to do with these, because I I mean we've all heard uh, a million complaints about programs like AAU, but I think one of the biggest ones is that suddenly. Everything feels like the NBA's farm program. You you know you go play your your under eighteen ball, playing for an organization that's telling you we're gonna make you the best that you can be. I I played little league growing up, and what they told me was you're gonna have a fun time when we stick you in right field. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean I can relate to that, I guess. I was a second baseman though. I w- I was okay defensively. I couldn't hit. I was small. I wasn't very fast. Uh, golf was my sport. Eventually, and I I am good at it. So yeah.
2: Eventually, <laughs> they put me in the uh, the infield because they realized, as kids got better at hitting, maybe putting one of the most heavy set players on the field in the <laughs> outfield is, is not, not, not best our idea. best idea.
1: No, but with the AAU thing in in high school, you're right. Most of these kids are the best players on their teams until they get to college and they realize they're not the best player anymore. They're not going to be the bucket getter, the hooper. You know they're not going to be the guy going out and getting thirty points a night. That's uh, and that's got to be hard for some of these kids in this in this. I'm telling you, this Generation Z that we've got coming up right now, with how a lot of these kids think, and how a lot of it's it's going to be a problem. <laughs> and they're used to being the best player on their team, and when you get to school, you're not. When you get to college, you're not. Alex, you got to prove that you are.
2: Alex Caruso has a really good quote about his time in the G League. And he kind of touches up on that where he says most of the guys in the G League expect to be called in to be the CEO. Mm -hmm. You got to play in the G League being willing to mop the floors because that's what most NBA teams are looking for. They're not looking for their next team leader when no those guys are, are already in the league yeah they're those there. guys are already they there have those they're jobs they're you looking to the g-league
1: for the role players you're 100 percent right so we'll talk about this more a little bit later uh coming up next on in the second hour of the rundown we'll give you an update on the diamondbacks and rockies right now and give you the rundown reload all the top stories in the world of sports that you need to know about this evening i'm spencer keatsman filling in for luke on 98.7 fm arizona sports
0: station Arizona's Sports Station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload.
2: Hour number two
1: of the Rundown. I'm Spencer Keatsman in for Luke tonight. Jeff Darge is behind the glass playing all the awesome sounds that you're hearing on the radio. The Rockies. We'll start with the Diamondbacks. Uh, D-backs taking on the Rockies right now. It is currently one to nothing. In the bottom of the second inning. Wait, is there a sounder for this? Am I supposed to point at you, Jeff? (laughs) No, okay. Because sometimes I'm not the everyday host, so sometimes these segments have these little things we got to play. This is not one of them. All right, the Diamondbacks are down. It is now two to nothing Rockies. Uh, Who hit that home run? Nunez. Yep. Two to nothing Rockies in the bottom of the second. Luke Weaver off to a shaky start already after having a. Very tough first start in San Diego where he did not pitch well. He walked some guys and gave up some runs and just a quick outing. And right now, not looking too good. 2-0 Rockies, bottom of the second. We'll keep you updated on that one. That game can also be heard over on ESPN 620. Uh, the Phoenix Suns get by the Houston Rockets last night, 133-130, to 130, and they are two and a half games back in the Western Conference of the Utah Jazz for that number one spot. All right, ludicrous reference. That wasn't very cool. Um, but it's it's attainable. It's here. This is new territory for us Suns fans. It's not new, but it's it's territory that we haven't been in in quite a while where the Suns are chasing a number one seed. I think I was not even old enough to drink the last time this happened. I think I might have been 20. I was 20 in 2010. What seed what were the Suns that year? That was the last year they made the playoffs, right? I'd have to look that up. But... Yeah, I mean, Jeff, you definitely weren't
2: old enough. How old were you in 2010? 2010, I was a freshman in high school, if I remember correctly. Oh my correctly. gosh. How old are you? I am 25. Wow. I had to yeah. think about that, and I'm a little <laughs> disappointed in myself. I was a
1: junior in college. I'm 31, so... um, Gosh, that's been a while, guys. This is new territory. So the Jazz and Suns, uh, tomorrow night. This game will be nationally televised on ESPN as the Suns have, I said it last time on on the rundown, that they're becoming one of the more teams that the entire nation is starting to pay attention to because of their brand of basketball, because they've got some young stars, because they've got a veteran like Chris Paul, because they've got uh, Monty Williams as the head coach, who literally everybody in the NBA knows Monty Williams. I mean, anybody associated with any team knows who that guy is and knows that he is a damn good basketball coach and has this team playing really well. So tomorrow night... Suns and Jazz, you can hear that right here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. And then they turn around on Thursday, back-to-back, boom. Got the, the Clippers in Los Angeles and then back home for five straight. So, quick little road trip to L.A. for one night, then back home for five straight. It's a key stretch for the Suns. I mean, you've got some bad teams coming in to play here in downtown Phoenix, throughout the next week or so, you got to fatten up on Washington. You got to fatten up on the Heat. You got to fatten up on Sacramento. You got to fatten up on the Houston Rockets. I mean, these are just teams that, you know, we've played a lot of, you've seen them play a lot of close games with the past few weeks against some bad teams. Go beat their butts, man. Go fatten up on them. Get a lead in the fourth quarter and get Booker out of the game. That's what I'm talking about. Let's build a 20, 30 point lead and, and not have to worry about these guys having to play down the stretch. We haven't seen that this year. Hasn't been a lot of that. Um, ASU, Marcus Bagley, who was a freshman at Arizona State this year, I think he averaged maybe 10 points a game. Now, look, ASU didn't play a lot of games. They were hit by COVID pretty much harder than any any college basketball team. I think there was a stretch in January where they went three weeks without playing a game. So, look, that, that adds up. I mean, there, you, you look at the wins and losses, like, I don't necessarily know if Bobby Hurley is the long-term answer for this program. Uh, they, they've they had some good teams in the past few years, and they've just been mediocre. Barely sneaking into the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, I think that the year they beat Kansas at home, they went, they went into Kansas and won two, but the next year they played them at home, uh, they were top five in the country and then just imploded the rest of the season. So the, the stuff like that's happened here before, but last year was weird. Um, so Bagley's going to tra- he, he's not going to transfer. He's going to declare for the draft, and uh, he says on Twitter that he's keeping all his options open, which I think just because you declare for the draft doesn't mean that you have to go, obviously. If you're not drafted, then you've got options after that. It's a little bit different uh, than how football works, and if I think as long as you don't hire an agent or something like that, you're good. You can come back and play college basketball. And the way things are going, if he doesn't get drafted and wants to come back and play college basketball, probably won't be at Arizona State. It'll probably be somewhere else, knowing that there's 1,200 kids in the transfer portal wanting to go play somewhere else. And then today, Deshaun Watson with his... um, with his lawsuits that he's dealing with two of the 22 women who have filed lawsuits against him with a uh, alleging sexual assault and inappropriate behavior came forward publicly in a news conference Tuesday. Um, look, this is, this is very graphic. Some of the stuff that was said, so it's not really something that maybe your kids are in the car. I'm not going to get into a, a lot of the words and terminology that was used, but um, two women have come forward with public statements about, uh, wrongdoing and misconduct from Deshaun Watson who his attorney Rusty Harden has came out and said that that is just just false that is just not true so this is going to go on a while um, with the Deshaun Watson story and it, it's just the league has yet to really get involved um, so we just need to know a lot more and we need to see how this plays out um, if it even goes to court there might be a settlement who knows but both teams are standing, or both sides of this story with Deshaun Watson are are standing strong on uh, their claims. So, who knows? Maybe you meet in the middle there. So, all right, that's the rundown. Reload. Um, yeah. So the Diamondbacks right now, it's they got Luke Weaver was able to get out of the winning. Just a quick update. It's two to nothing, Arizona or Colorado right now in the top of the third. Uh, Luke Weaver is batting right now, and he just struck out. That's a pitcher. That's what they do. Uh, so two to nothing. You want to listen to that? It's over on ESPN six twenty earlier today on Burns and Gambo. They had Tori Lavello on, and I I listened through this, and a lot of it isn't really time consuming on the game tonight, but he sort of gives you an insight on where the team sits right now after their one and three start, and uh, we'll just play a quick little little couple minute snippet of Tori Lavello on Burns and Gambo today, who talks about he starts out talking about Taylor Widener and his great pitching performance on Sunday against the Padres.
3: When you trade Brandon Drury, you don't really know the name or you don't really know the connection to who's coming on board. And a couple of years later, you you see this wonderful outing by Taylor Widener, and uh, you, you understand how hard our front office works to make things like that happen for today and in the future. So totally agree with you on that. In that inning with person third, no out. You, know, you get the first punch out, and then you keep thinking, well, if you can get one more, there's good spots here where the part of the lineup, place in the lineup where he can attack and do a good job and, and wiggle out of it. And behind him, we're constantly changing defenses and and um, and coverages uh, just to match what he was doing. And it was fun, fun to watch. But he's got strikeout potential. He throws a fastball by. Hitters, quality hitters in the zone. And when you can do that, you got some great gifts.
0: You know, I bet you mentioned the defense. And last year at times, the defense really failed you. Um, You know, Nick had a tough year defensively. So did a few other guys. I I was real excited. You know, I love the defense. Perdomo, Perdomo made a terrific play on Myers in that bottom of the fourth. And then also... I thought Paven Smith just made a, a hell of a play to Rob Camp Usano in the fifth. I mean, you know, you, to, to win a game like that, you know a, a close, you know a close game, you need to get some great defense. I thought those were two outstanding defensive plays. I always like pointing them out.
3: Yeah, you, you, you're nailing it. and my, we talked about those little things, and I'm glad you are given some time um, for me to talk about some of those defensive plays. you know uh, the ball off the bat to Paven. it was hit hard. It was slicing away from him. Uh, he did he did a great job of catching up to that baseball and took a great angle. And you got to remember, two years ago this this was a first baseman. And um, player development did an incredible job of, of getting him some time out there. And then we we picked up on that. We have continued to watch him improve day by day. But we picked up the baseball in the middle of the diamond. Perdomo and Rojas. It was it was pretty fun for us to watch. And. When you you talk about winning championships or when you talk about winning big baseball games, the pitching and the defense are very consistent. The hitting at times can be a little inconsistent. So when we can stand on that and we can have the type of defense year that we're used to having in in this organization, we know we're in a good spot.
0: Tori, I know it's early, but Carson Kelly has looked good so far this season. Are you seeing anything different? And what would it do for you guys if he's able to bounce back this year?
3: Yeah, he's one of a couple guys that we felt like last year – Things may have gotten away from him approach-wise, and maybe a little bit of a swing fundamental that uh, needed to improve. So we talked to him about that um, last year. He accepted that coaching, and he made some quality adjustments. You know, he was taking a swing where it was a little bit lengthy on the backside, Uh, the the hips, and the and the legs, and the direction in which he was striding was very inconsistent. Um, So we feel like he's in a good spot. Things are very short and compact towards the ball. And you're right, he's hitting the ball extremely well. So. We need Carson to to be that offensive guy, not go out there and carry the workload from an offensive standpoint, but be one of eight in a lineup that is very consistent and very stubborn to the pitch that they're looking for. And Carson's in a great spot right now.
0: Torrey Lovello joins us on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. Uh, now the concerns. Uh, you know, I've watched every single at-bat from Eduardo Escobar this year, and and I've got my concerns. Uh, five strikeouts, uh, does not have a hit, 11 at-bats. Tori, I don't even think the at-bats look good. I mean, I, th- I think he he not that he looks lost out there, but his approach to hitting does not seem to be what it was a few years ago. So give me your, your thoughts right now on Eduardo Escobar. Are you considering any changes at third base? And I know you played him at second too, but w- what do you see going forward with him
3: well you know he's got a track record that indicates that he's going to be just fine but no, we 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 have to be smart and we have to um you know sit down uh as a staff and talk about the good and bad um and we certainly want to do all that we can to help uh, help eduardo get going in the right direction typically a slow starter um if you go back to 19 i think he was first first 30 something along those lines um and we get that the one thing that i do see is is very good bat speed. Um, you know, the stride direction, the swing fundamental is is pretty solid. So it's not really anything that we need to worry about from a fundamental standpoint. To me, it's going to be the pitches that he's swinging at. So that was our target through conversations with him, uh, you know, to, to understand how the pitcher's working you, understand how the pitcher's setting you up, cut the plate in half or thirds, uh, whatever you've done in the past, make sure that you're getting all your checkpoints down because you do have the bat speed and you are pretty good bat to ball. It's just a matter of swinging at strikes. And look, it doesn't change when you're a little little leaguer. You know, you hear your parents in the stands telling you swing at strikes, and you hear the pitcher's mom saying throw strikes. It's about getting strikes, attacking strikes, and doing what you do best.
1: All right, that's part of Tori Lovello earlier today on Burns and Gamble. Might play um, the second half of that later on in the show. Right now, the Diamondbacks and Rockies currently in the bottom of the third. Uh, Luke Weaver is on the mound right now facing Trevor Story of Colorado. It is two to nothing Rockies in the bottom of the third. We'll keep you updated on that as the show moves along. We'll be right back with more on The Rundown. I'm Spencer Keatsman on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station.
0: This is The Rundown, hosted by Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station.
1: The is bringing us back. Into the Rundown, I'm Spencer Keatsman on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Hope everyone out there is having a great Tuesday night on April 6th. I saw yesterday, and I'm surprised I haven't brought this up yet, because I know just we we probably have listeners out there who are just huge Jeopardy fans, right, Jeff? I mean, you got to be, especially when Aaron Rodgers is guest hosting for
2: two straight weeks. Have you ever watched Jeopardy? Yeah, yeah, okay. you know, it's uh, you, you actually usually get a pretty good view of Jeopardy from where I'm sitting on those uh, TVs in the main newsroom. Oh,
1: so you can see, like, out the window. Yeah, and Those yeah. TVs that literally never change channels, ever? Yeah, I, so, yeah, I think okay. that
2: I've watched more TV silently through those very far away TVs okay. uh, uh, during this past year than I have in, in my own house. It's kind of funny
1: when you go some places, what... what TVs get stuck on like how did they how did it get stuck on that channel and why hasn't it been changed in the last four months (laughs) you know what I'm talking about like if you go to a doctor's office you're like okay who requested to put on that channel and then nobody changed it for like four months it just stayed on there so you're watching some crappy movie that you know there's certain like VH1 they're notoriously known for playing terrible movies. Right, so let's say you get stuck on there, you're stuck watching a movie in the doctor's office that you don't want to watch. I don't know. I've always, but anyways, Aaron Rodgers has been hosting Jeopardy. Did you see how he got trolled by the contestant? No, oh, no it's, I this haven't. is great. So you know, in, in Jeopardy, you write down like your answers um, on the on, on the screen or whatever. Yeah, for and in Final Jeopardy, yes, and in, and this guy instead of writing down the correct answer to the question, he wrote down whose decision was it to kick the field goal. Because their playoff game, <laughs> when they lost to uh, Tampa, they kicked a field goal when they had like 4th and 1, and they probably could have gone for it and ended up scoring and winning and winning the game. Instead, they lost. Um, and so Rogers kind of thought that was funny and chuckled and laughed. He was like, that's a good question. Yeah, but anyways, the guy was willing to suffer, apparently giving up the wrong answer uh, to just write down who decided to kick the field goal <laughs> and, and troll him a little bit. I thought... I thought that's pretty funny. So. I
2: I, uh, I, have a huge amount of respect for anyone who's able to, in that moment with the music playing, <laughs> just be able to say, well, I don't know the answer, so I might as well be funny with it. Because I know personally, they would go to me like, oh, Jeff, and you answered nothing. You left it completely blank. And how much did you bid? All your money. You were really <laughs> confident.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there, there you go. There's a little Aaron Rodgers tidbit from Jeopardy that I thought I thought was kind of funny. I I I don't watch Jeopardy. I'm not a big game show guy. We have uh, a former coworker here, uh, Andy Greenberg, was a huge and still is a huge game show guy. He does like Instagram live uh, game shows now because you can't you know a lot of bars still aren't doing them, um, although there are some that are. And but he's he basically does trivia on Instagram because you can do a poll. And I I've gotten maybe one of his questions right. I think he does it once a week, where he'll fire out like fifteen questions, and I've I they're good, they're really good. I give him credit. So, um, but I'm not a big trivia in a bar kind of guy. When I when I go to the bar, I like to watch like games. I don't want to hear some guy who looks like some over glorified uh, MC dude with terrible hair. MC trivia. Do we really need an MC for trivia? Like, is that? Or, or better question, do we need to have it going constantly, or while we're doing rounds, can we maybe put the audio of the game back on the TV, back on the speakers, and tell the MC guy to you know keep it down for a little bit? I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of annoyed sometimes with trivia when when I'm in a bar. Like my dad's even worse about it. He'll literally get up and leave. He'll be like, "Nope, we're going somewhere else." It'll be it'll be Thursday nights. Thursday nights are generally trivia nights and you're going to a place to watch Thursday night football and all of a sudden you got to listen to this this guy do MC trivia like no i'm I, out on that i'm
2: a fan <laughs> of bar trivia but uh
1: oh i love the concept of it i just don't like the fact that if it, not everybody there is to do that is there to do that fair so keep the audio of the game on
2: the the thing that i don't like is uh i i think bar trivia should confiscate your phone at the beginning of oh, yeah. the game i think the fact that uh, you can even have your phone kind of defeats the purpose.
1: And, and they need
2: to step up their,
1: their prize game, man. Okay, so I'm not going to get incentivized to go play trivia at a bar when my prize, if I win, is going to be a $50 gift card to that bar. Well, I just spent at least 50 bucks on drinks and food to get to be here to play trivia. So it's basically like you're getting your meal for free, right? Okay, fine. But that's not going to, like... People think you come out on top. Ooh, I won $50 to this place.
2: No, you didn't. You had to spend
1: $50 to win that.
2: I, I It's think simple it be, economics. It should be like <laughs> winning uh, King of the Ring in the WWE. Like They give okay. you a crown, a scepter, and they let you give a speech about how everyone else is worse at trivia <laughs> than you are.
1: No, see, I'm not about that because then you would have to get this guy on the microphone, and I want to watch the game and hear the game on on speaker. And now that sports bars are becoming more more open, and, and you know, with COVID and everything, and uh, people are going to be getting back into their sports bar routines. And I'm telling you, these places better be on top of it. They better be ready to go this fall. So I, I don't know how we got off on that. But uh, coming up next on the rundown, we'll talk about the Phoenix Suns. And they are currently two and a half games back of the Utah Jazz in the Western Conference race for the one seed. And guess who they play tomorrow, Jeff? I
2: believe that would be the Utah that Jazz. That is the
1: Utah Jazz. I, om- I wanted to do like a Gambo thing there, but I can't pull that off, and I can't steal what they do. See, that's the, the thing. The bad is, news for the w- Jazz thing,
2: I can- we can't do that. I would have to come in tomorrow for that Suns that's game true. and face the man who shouts that line himself, Jordan Bird.
1: Yes, not good, and possibly Gambo. He may not be happy about that, and and you're right. That's We're not stealing that. That's their thing. It's awesome, but that's what that made me think of. So coming up next on The Rundown, we'll talk about the Phoenix Suns and their race for the one seed and just the buzz around this team and how excited everyone is. It's been a lot of fun uh, to talk about the Suns. I'm Spencer Keatsman on The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Welcome back to The Rundown. I'm Spencer Keatsman, and for Luke tonight, Jeff Darge, producing... The effort here on a Tuesday. It is now three to nothing, Colorado Rockies in the bottom of the fourth. Ryan McMahon is now in companies with Eric Hosmer as being the first two official D back killers of the 21-21 season. Uh, those two players have hit two home runs in one game now for their respective teams. Uh, McMahon with his second solo homer of the night to make it three to nothing Rockies. That means Luke Weaver has given up three solo shots. Look, the solo bombs don't kill you. Isn't that the old saying in baseball? But when you give up three of them in four innings, it, it they kind of do. The D-backs only have one hit, so things not going good at the plate either for Arizona early on. It is three to nothing in the bottom of the fourth. Luke Weaver threw three and two-thirds pitch, just given up three runs, four hits, one strikeout, no walks. So it's just those solo, those solo dingers that have been the Achilles heel for Weaver so far. Other than that, I'd say he's pitching a good game. Other than the three home runs he's given up, Jeff, he's pitching well, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, this is a, the D-backs are going to have to rely on the bullpen in this one to to limit some damage because I'm not sure how much Weaver's going to be able to go after the fourth inning here. It is the end of the fourth now, so the D-backs coming out to bat. We'll keep you updated on that throughout the rest of the show. we got about 30 minutes left or so, and we're going to talk about the Suns right now. And the chase for the one seed. They're two and a half games back of the Utah Jazz, and I think that this is a, a conversation that really needs to be dissected a little more three weeks from now, because a lot can happen. They play a lot of games. There's 40 days left in the regular season. They play 23 games in 40 days. That's a lot. Um, most It's because of the shortened season. In a regular NBA season, they're used to playing two, maybe three nights a week, not back-to-back nights a lot like they are right now. Uh, that is sometimes common in the NBA to do a back-to-back, but they're doing it at least once a week now, it seems. And they've got a back-to-back coming up this week. They're uh, on tomorrow Starting tomorrow night, they take on the Jazz um, at home, and then they have the Clippers in Los Angeles before returning home for the next five games at home. So when you're playing good basketball right now, it's a good time to have a home stretch here against some teams that just aren't very good. Uh, obviously, the jazz and the Clippers are very, very good basketball teams. They're not gonna look past that at all. You'd like to go win one of those games. I think that's that's good. I think that the Suns can go win six of their next seven. I think that's pretty good. I think you take that every time in the NBA. If you can win six out of your next seven, you'll obviously win the title <laughs> if you keep that trend up the entire year. It's not always the case, but I, I think with the schedule with some bad teams coming in, you've got Washington coming in, you've got Sacramento coming in in the next week, you've got Houston, you've got the Heat who are okay, um, you've got San Antonio who is okay. Uh, I, I just think that that this is the time to fatten up right now and keep this this trend going of w- winning close games. I don't care. Just get it done. Just win. So, and uh, this town is buzzing about the Suns for the first time in a long time. And um, I, I, I'm wondering, though, like, I, I I know that there's a strong support for the Suns, especially with our stations listeners, but the casual fans are starting to to sort of come out. And that's kind of how it goes in this town when you have a winner. You know, you got people who maybe aren't from here that start picking up and watching Suns games. They start maybe considering wanting to go. I, I can't count how many people I've talked to that want to buy playoff tickets. I, I'm I'm right there with him. I would love to go to a Suns playoff game. I've been to a couple before. It was obviously a while ago. Um, but, you know, if we get this arena close to maybe, let's see, by the middle of May... I don't think we'll get to 50% capacity. I think that's a tough stretch. What are we at right now? Like 15? How 12 like 2000 people are allowed in the arena? Something sh- like I that. I feel yeah. like I should know this. It hasn't been enough to really make an impact on TV. Um but and that that also brings up another thing too, like with with the one seed, obviously you get that home field advantage or home court advantage uh, throughout the playoffs, but I I just don't know if this year with a w- with not so many fans in the stands that that's that huge a deal. I think you want to get the one seat just to have the one seat cuz obviously you'll play that 8 who is probably likely to be the worst team in the playoffs whoever it's whether it's Memphis, whether it's San Antonio, Dallas, I I don't know. Um but that's the reason why you want it. I I just I'm I'm wondering if the Suns 3 weeks from now are in a spot where they're still two, three games back of the Jazz, and they're not really able to make up any ground on them, is it is it worth really trying to you know bust your rear end to get it? Or do you maybe see a Suns team that pretty solidly has the two or three seed locked up, and then maybe you start to give your guys some less minutes, rest them up for the playoffs? It's been a, a tough stretch. It's been a shortened, long season, if you know what I mean. I mean, they're playing like every night. This is a different... This is a different deal. And the fact that the Suns, they've had some, a, few, a few injuries throughout the season, nothing serious. They haven't had anything serious, you know, knocking on wood there, because uh, they're a team that's really good that just can't afford to lose one of their key players. I mean, they, they can't. We see what ha- what's happened with the Lakers when they're, those guys are dropping like flies in L.A., and they're struggling. It, it's just the way it is. It's, it's hard to replace. There's two or three guys in every lineup in the NBA, I feel like, that are just irreplaceable. And you just you can't have something like that happen. So I'm wondering if the Suns get to a spot where they're solidly a two or a three seed. Um, they know that they've they've got a pretty good team. They know they can win the West, whether or not they have the one seed or not. Do you just sort of start to maybe take it easy on some guys and sit them a little bit? I I, I don't know. I think a lot of Suns fans would probably be upset with that mindset. I think a lot of Suns fans, the majority of them. Would want to go get that one seed. I don't know if if I'm in that boat at that point. I mean, yeah if you're if you're like a game back three weeks from now, four weeks from now, you're a game back. Go get it. But if you start to maybe fall a little bit, maybe you lose a game you're not supposed to. Maybe the Jazz keep winning. Um, I I I just don't know if if it's really worth playing your guys every night, thirty plus minutes a night, just to get the one seed i i I really don't I think you want to have a well rested team going into the playoffs, especially with a team besides Chris Paul, none of these guys have been in this spot, none of them. I mean like i'd have to I'd have to look through the the, the entire roster to double check and be like, yeah, but nobody that's starting besides chris Paul has has been in this spot to to be in a, in a serious contention to win the west. This is new territory. How do these Suns handle that? I, I I think they're doing a pretty good job so far. So, I I, I am really just wondering if if the Suns are going to be content in a couple weeks if they're not in contention to get that one seed would just be in the two or the three, moving forward. So I I twenty three games in forty days is a lot, man. And and unlike the NFL, I just don't really think the one seed is is that huge of a deal. There's no buys in the NBA. Home court advantage uh, really doesn't always play a huge role. I think in the NBA, usually the better teams go win, whether they're playing at home or not. Not always, but most of the time, uh, especially this year with with, with limited fans. And uh, who knows how many fans we'll see in the arena for the playoffs. I hope we can get somewhere near 50%. That'd be kind of cool. Get six or 7,000 fans. That, I mean, that makes a huge difference compared to two or three. With, with, with crowd noise and everything, and and I know some teams have been pumping in crowd noise with their speakers and, and whatnot, but I, I think that if the Suns can maybe get to where they can get close to having 6,000 fans in the arena by the playoffs time, I, I or maybe by the, even the end of the playoffs, maybe by mid-June, I mean, the NBA playoffs goes on forever. So a lot could happen in a few weeks from when the playoffs starts to maybe they're playing in a semifinal game. Maybe they're playing in the Western conference finals. You can get six or 7,000 people in that stands. I, I don't know that it's going to happen. I I think that there's a lot of politics and red tape um, that they would have to climb through to make that happen. And obviously the league itself has sort of, the NBA has been more like, I, I guess, liberal in a way to how they're handling crowds than other leagues have. Like, you've got the Texas Rangers in Major League Baseball just fully opening up their stadium. That's not really happening in the NBA. Um, there's a few teams in Texas, or there's some teams in Texas that have come close to doing that. Um, but I, I just don't think it's going to happen. So I I, I don't know. Um, it would be cool. It would be cool. It would be just our luck to get the Suns back in the playoffs. And guess what? The ticket prices are way overpriced because they're only allowing a few thousand people in to... The game. Um, The the college basketball transfer portal is another thing. Now that the NCAA tournament has wrapped up and Baylor had, I think, three guys in their starting lineup that were transfers going into the year. USC made it to the Elite Eight. I think they had their entire starting five. None of those guys were on the team the year before. They were either freshmen or transfers. UCLA had a few guys that weren't there and they made it to the Final Four. Um, It's crazy. And it's becoming very, very difficult for for fans to really fall in love with their teams. Um, I covered I covered Kentucky. I lived in Kentucky and Louisville for, for three years doing sports radio there. And each year, Kentucky had a new crop of one-and-done guys coming in. Um, and their fans, like it, it, even with their fans, as passionate as, as they are about their college basketball, they still have trouble trying to find a way to fall in love with their players cuz they know they're going to be gone. I think one year Calipari had five guys get drafted that were all freshmen. I think it was the year Booker um got drafted. I think it was it was Towns, it was Booker. Um Booker was a sophomore though. He wasn't a one and done. So it would have been the year before then when they with the Harrison Twins and uh Trey Lyles and Julius Randle and yeah they they had a bunch of guys that were one and done guys get drafted and look that's got to be like it's cool you're winning games but it, it's just got it's weird knowing that there's a chance that none of these guys are going to be there the next year and with the middling programs like Arizona State who is seeing a lot of turnover in the transfer portal and it's happening everywhere it's not just happening here i if if i'm a big time asu fan i don't know i i don't i find it hard to get interested in the college basketball program. I really do. They aren't winning any games. They were bad this past year. And when you're not winning and you've got different guys every year and you've got guys transferring and coming in, it's hard to fall in love with those teams. And I think college basketball right now is experiencing a huge identity crisis. I mean, it's college basketball right now between the FBI scandals with the big time programs, with the big boys and the pay for play and all the cheating that they've done. Uh, and the transfer portal now—it's just becoming really hard to to be too interested in for the casual fan. There's always going to be your diehards. There's always going to be you know fans of these big time programs that no matter how much they cheat or no matter how much they seem to get away with every year, those fans are going to be there and be like, "Well, it's happening everywhere." The FBI is investigating six different programs. Blah blah blah. Those fans are going to be there, um, but the casual fans that you're trying to get to go to ASU games. You're trying to get to go to name any school. That's not one of the 10 power horses in college basketball. It's, it's difficult. I mean, I went to Kansas state. They've got like six guys transferring this year. I mean, it's it's just absolutely insane. The transfer portal bug is bitten everybody and it's just become a culture in this game. And I, I, I don't know if I like it. I think college basketball is in is in tough shape right now. There's a huge identity crisis. They've got to figure it out because you cannot have this every year where you're going into the NCAA tournament and your fans don't know who your players are because they're they've only been there for a few months and there's new guys just getting plugged in every year. That's just what I think. Maybe I'm way way off on that, but I think college basketball is is very difficult to watch right now. All right, final segment of the rundown coming up. We'll get into some fun stuff and update you on the Diamondbacks and maybe get into some of their issues. It seems to me that every concern I had about the Diamondbacks going into this year has so far been proven true. As the D backs are on the board, there you go. RBI single by, I just looked up at the TV. I couldn't quite tell. Didn't see a last name. Let's get a jersey. Um, Still not showing it. Okay, we'll, t- we'll let you know who it was. It's 3-1 Rockies in the fifth inning. Uh, we'll tell you more on the other side of the break, on The Rundown on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.
0: It's The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station.
1: Final segment of The Rundown here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. I'm Spencer Keatsman in for Luke tonight, who was on Burns and Gambo earlier today. And update from Colorado the D backs now trailed three to one. Uh, it's three to one in the bottom of the fifth. And starting pitcher Luke Weaver has been responsible for every single run scored in this game so far. That's right. The pitcher with an RBI knock in the top of the fifth for the D backs. It is three to one. Arizona. And speaking of Luke Lipinski, I'm going to play just a few minutes uh, that you didn't hear from Tori Lovello's interview earlier today. It's not time-sensitive sens- time to the game, and Luke is going to take it away for a few minutes here.
0: A young guy like Josh Rojas who had such a good spring training, and again, we're only four games into this season. I mean, do you, do you have to say anything to him so he doesn't get too up in his own head after 16 at-bats, or are you just confident he'll work his way out of it?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm more hands-on, so, yeah, I'm definitely going to have conversations with guys um, as I see them you know, walking around, whether they are in a fog or whether they look like they're in a fog, I don't know. But I just feel like I want that open line of communication, let them know that, that we're behind them and we know this game at times can be a little bit difficult. What I don't want them to do is make it more difficult by bogging themselves down with the negative self-talk or maybe you know trying to do too much per at-bat. Josh did an incredible job in spring training. He anchored shortstop. He became our backup shortstop. Uh, and, you know, now he's finding himself leading off in the middle of the major league games um, uh, to start a season. I'm sorry. And, you know, it might have been a little bit more um, uh, internally that he was taking on that uh, he felt like he had to do a little bit more. And that's just the contrary. we got to make sure these athletes go out there and be the best version of themselves, do exactly what they've done. And those will be my reminders to all those guys.
0: All right, let's let's get the update injury wise. Joaquin Soria on the ten day IL. You bring up Matt Peacock. Uh, what can you tell us about Soria and the injury?
3: Yeah, so we know that it's going to be uh, you know several days worth of uh, limited activity. Just let it heal. Um, you know, it's it's a serious serious enough injury where we know we're going to be missing him for at least ten days. Uh, and it was something that just jumped up on him. He'd been nursing a little bit of discomfort there, but jumped up on him when he went to cover first base and. You know, I'm kicking myself because I felt like I could have taken him out of the game. But by that point, I think the damage had already been done. Um, and, you know, we know that, that he wants to be out here. I spoke with him this afternoon. He's he's a competitor. He's frustrated. But he's going to do all that he can to get back here as soon as he can. As far as the time limit, we don't know. Uh, I, I hate to put time limits on things because these athletes are amazing. They do an unbelievable job of taking care of their bodies and trusting the game plan, they get back sooner than later, more times than not. Uh, in, in his place, Matt Peacock will take, um, take up uh, his role, not necessarily his role, but take up a spot in the bullpen, and we're super excited for him. It was a great moment to be able to tell him that he's a big leader for the first time and he's ready for this challenge.
0: All right, you know, I'm trying to get that Villa in Italy, so 3% will go a long way. Here's uh, I want you to listen to what Ken Kendrick, the owner of the uh, Diamondbacks, said yesterday about your job status. If I were making a prediction, and I sometimes do, and try not to make too many, uh, because the more predictions you make, uh, the more likely you're going to be wrong on occasion, but uh, I would predict he'll be right back where he is uh, uh, in that dugout running the team next year. There you go.
3: <laughs> I appreciate that. So look, I need a new uh,
0: an agent, right? That's that's, there, that's talking there about right there. I love that. Three three percent. I mean that. Venmo Venmo or PayPal or, or anything like that when it comes through, we'll just put it right towards the bill in Italy. But I, I would imagine, you know, for you that, that you know, that, that feels good, you know, hearing the owner of the team uh, with a vote of confidence, feeling that you'll be be back as the manager next year.
3: Yeah, certainly. Um, You know, first of all, I I can't say enough about my relationship with this organization. And it starts from pan on down through Derek and then obviously with the people that I see just about every day, um, you know, the leaders uh, inside of the baseball ops department. So I love being in Arizona. I love my time here. Um, And I want to be here forever. I'm going to go on the record and say that. Uh, this is obviously a crazy game, and, and, and wins and losses matter. So I am not going to be distracted by things that I can't control. What I can't control are the relationships and the conversations that I have day by day, the way I run a baseball game, uh, and just engage in that, and that's giving me peace. And, I, you know, what Ken said obviously it means a lot to me. And, uh, you know, he, he is our owner, and I don't want to let him down. I want to do my part, do all that I can to help this organization move forward each and every.
1: All right, so I understand a lot of jobs of reporters and the basic questions they have to ask, and they know that they're going to get the typical coach-speak response in a way, but I want to know, like, not to call anybody out or anything, but did somebody really ask Ken Kendrick, the owner of the team, on a conference call four games into the season about Tori Lavella's job status uh, uh, against the uh, the Padres? They, went, they, they lost three out of four. I get that. Was that really a question, or I want to know how that somehow got brought up? Because that just seems kind of odd. I I don't think I've heard anyone ask an owner about the the manager's job security four games into a baseball season. That's just, I mean, if we're sitting here in two weeks, and they're 2-10, and maybe you start to ask those questions or or think. uh, Coaches get fired in the middle of the season all the time. I'm certainly not ignorant to that, but just wondering why somebody would, would ask that. I, I'm not sure I I fully understand that one. But there are some reasons for concerns, and I don't think any of them have to do with the manager, Tori Lavello. I think a lot of them are just some of the basic questions that we had going into the season. Madison Baumgartner didn't look great in his first start. Um, Cattell Marte is, is the only guy in this lineup that has proven he can hit on a consistent basis when, you know, the Dodgers and the Podgers they got like seven of these guys. That, that are incredible hitters that that just light it up and are consistent. The D-backs don't really have that right now. I mean, the, Eduardo Escobar has been awful start the year. Josh Rojas, who's really only playing shortstop a significant amount of time because Nick Ahmed is hurt, um, he's been terrible at the plate. There, there's, there's been some concerns, and so far, Marte is, is by far and away the best hitter on this team, and it really isn't even close, and nobody else has been too consistent so that's a concern the bullpen's been bad they've given up some runs that you don't really have guys set in roles and now with soria out um i'm not sure how big of a loss that is and i'm i'm not really sure what his role was going to be going into the season yes he provides an extremely veteran arm going into it the guy's been around forever and has played for about 12 different teams so he can provide some experience to a a young bullpen where there's some guys like Ginkle, Alex Young. I mean, some of these young pitchers that are uh, up with the team um, that you just you don't you don't really know. A certain role in the bullpen. I mean, there really isn't even a set closer at this point. So those are some questions. You've had some defensive issues. You've had some great plays on defense, but you've had some defensive issues as well with this team. Rojas has not been good at shortstop. And and one of the things that I always like to bring up is the Granky trade and how that's going to pan out. And right now, there's a lot of questions up in the air about that. You know, Seth Beer, he's not on the big league team. Thought maybe he would be by now. Uh, JB Bukoskis is is clearly a stud pitcher that the Diamondbacks have in the minor leagues right now for service time control and that's something that the, that the Players Association and the CBA are going to have to address with Major League Baseball in January when the collective bargaining agreement, the current one, is up Corbin Martin, he's not up uh, Josh Rojas has been just okay he played last year a little bit um, he's just been a guy on the team and some of these guys that you thought you were going to get in the green key trade just haven't quite panned out yet. Um, and you wonder when that's going to happen. You wonder about Luke Weaver, who has picked it up a little bit in this game. Uh, he's through five for the Diamondbacks right now. It's 3-1 to one Rockies. He's given up three solo home runs, though. Um, so there's a lot of things that you just have questions about. And so far, most of the things that I had questions about going into this season have sort of been proven true. So there's that. All right, that's about going to be it for us on the rundown here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. I'm Spencer Keatsman. I've been filling in for Luke, who I think is back for a shortened version of the rundown tomorrow night. The Suns play at 7 o'clock. So you're going to have the Suns on the radio, and you're, I think you're going to have 30 minutes of Luke Lipinski before that as well. So be sure to check that out. And if you missed anything from earlier today, any of the shows, go to go to your app store, actually, whether it's Apple or Google, and download the Arizona Sports app. They'll get you caught up. You can listen to podcasts, read all the good stories, and all that fun stuff. All right. For Jeff Darge, producing the effort, I'm Spencer Keatsman saying good night on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.